Welcome y bienvenidos to About Consent, the podcast that sparks conversations about creating consent culture, boundary repair, sexual empowerment, orgasm equality, and raising a new sexually conscious and consent-empowered generation. This is a safe, shame-free, judgment-free zone where both survivors and those who support survivors are welcome. I'm your host, Rosalia Rivera. Welcome to another episode. I'm so glad you're here today, and especially if you're a parent. But even if you're not, please tune in and share this important episode with a parent you know. In this episode, I interview Damon Fairless. Damon is an award-winning investigative journalist and writer. He's also a senior producer for CBC Podcasts here in Canada. In 2019, he produced a podcast series called Hunting Warhead, which I listened to at the beginning of 2020. And it is that specific series that made me realize that I had to have him on the show. I was finally able to interview him for About Consent last year and now bring you this interview. Please know that we do discuss child sexual abuse and pedophilia, so this is a trigger warning. If you need to pause at any point, please do so. Your mental health comes first. If you do have support and are able to come back to finish listening to the episode, I encourage that you do so because the focus of this episode is on how the information shared by his podcast series, Hunting Warhead, will help you understand more about the prevention of child sexual abuse so that we can help end this. Here's my interview with Damon Fairless. Welcome, Damon. I'm so excited to have you here to talk about some something that you created that had a tremendous impact on me and the work I do, and I think on anyone who listens to it. Um, so thank you so much for being here and making the time today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. So um, we're going to dive right into it because there's so much to cover um, regarding the series Hunting Warhead, which um, I listened to last year. I think it was at the beginning. Yeah, I think it came out maybe in January or February of last year. And it was actually recommended to me by someone I had uh, shared on my Instagram uh, feed about a New York Times article that I read really about how explosive CSAM, which is child sexual abuse yeah. material, has gotten on, on the internet. And uh, one of my followers had said, have you listened to Hunting Warhead? And so of course I immediately went and looked it up and uh, it took me about a week to be able to listen to it. I had to stop at certain points and listen, yeah. you know, give myself some pause. Um, but it was it was riveting because number one, it's it was all you know facts of things that actually happened and transpired. Um, but also to be able to hear the actual person, you know that that, uh, and I won't give a lot of details. So I want people to listen to it, but. Um, there, you know, for anyone who is not familiar with it, I would love for you to, to just give sort of a synopsis of, of what Hunting Warhead is about. But the reason I wanted to reach out and connect with you as soon as I finished listening to it was there was so much rich information that I think parents in particular need to know to really understand the scope of the problem that mm -hmm. we're, you know, you're talking about in this. Um, and, and I think just to kind of frame it also, this was just one particular person 
who created this forum. And, you know, there were millions of people that were connected to this forum. But I think people may have the misconception at the end that this guy was captured and, you know, problem solved far from it, you know, and I, I just want to make sure people understand that this just gives you an understanding of what's out there and yeah. the plentitude of what's out there. So for, for those who haven't listened to it, can you just give a quick synopsis of what Hunting Warhead is? Yeah, for sure. So Hunting Warhead, I, I'll kind of give you the, the short and then the longer version. Hunting Warhead, the short version is Hunting Warhead is a series about the hunt and capture of a guy who went by the alias Warhead, and he was running what at the time was the largest uh, child abuse site on the dark web. that had about a million active users of that of that site. He was a guy from North Bay, Canada, little town in northern Ontario, and he was sort of this mastermind of dark web child abuse material. That's kind of the short answer, and so. We followed up on an investigation that uh, our our colleagues in Norway had done, and we ended up spending. I ended up spending a lot of time talking to um, the guy, Ben Faulkner is his name, the guy who went by uh, Warhead, because I guess my to get into the longer version of this, it, it's kind of a true crime story in some ways, um, but the whole point of doing a true crime story is to, um, I guess, create a, a compelling enough narrative that people will want to stick to a topic that is just awful mm -hmm. and depressing and terrifying and miserable in a lot of ways. So we kind of figured out that we could create this, we could bring people in with this, this strong narrative of a, almost like a whodunit. And then when you get in there, it kind of becomes another story about, okay, so why does this happen? Right. And I and to me that's like I, I'm not really a true crime affectionate. I don't really care about the details of crime. I, I find that a little voyeuristic or sensationalistic. So you spend a lot of time thinking about like, okay, so how do we have a pivot point where we go from like, oh, this is a crazy cops chasing this guy story to okay, but why do you guys do this? How do you become right. this guy? Right. Because I, I think like I always there's um George Orwell who is kind of a journalistic mentor or, you know, God in, in my pantheon of, of mentors always said, you know, part of the job of being a journalist, journalist is to face unpleasant facts. And to me, pedophilia, child abuse, sexual abuse, these are, these are really unpleasant, awful things, right? And they're, yeah. I think it's quite understandable why people may not want to talk about them or think about them. But if you do that, you don't, you don't understand it. And if you don't understand it, you can't come up with solutions. Right. So, so there was kind of this two-prong thing where we have to create a story that's compelling enough for people to listen to, like a, a you know a really good tale, a yarn, right? And mm -hmm. then there's this other thing where, which is really what my background is in, and and what my interest in is, like why, like yeah. get into the guy's head as far yeah. as you can. Yeah, you mentioned so that, that in the beginning of like forensic psychology, which I was very fascinated with when I was in university, also, and I think mm -hmm. that was part of what really pulled me in. So I'm glad that you. You did that because it really, um, that for me is what I think a lot of people keep going back to is like, they just can't fathom people doing this or why they do this. And to be able to get into the mind and share that story of how that all unfolded, I think was brilliant. So sorry to cut you off, please continue. No, not at all. No, 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 no. I, I mean, I, I, I was kind of done there. Um, I, I think there are very few cases of monsters in the world in the sense that like there are like I've interviewed serial killers I've interviewed some bad dudes 
and there are some people who really stand out as like they're like different mm-hmm. types of people but I think in a lot of cases like people who even do some of the very worst things start at least in a place that that we can connect with like we all have some potential worst self we can become under the wrong set of circumstances right that might be you know substance abuse or violence or whatever and in this case I think that I you know the guy we talked to had taken that path his own worst self he had developed to its kind of ultimate formation so I think I think part of it is like when we were doing this I I talked to I talked to one person in particular who was a self-identified pedophile and looked at child abuse material had kids and maintained that he had never abused a kid and I had no way of corroborating that but I tended to believe him because I I know from talking to experts there are people out there who suffer and I think suffer is actually the right term from pedophilia who know it's wrong to abuse kids who don't want to do that and are kind of saddled with this sexual preference or sexual orientation that they don't really have a lot of control over And, and it's and it's a form of torture to them and they some people seek out help for it and don't go down the path that Warhead did, right? And so one of the things that I found interesting with, about doing this is that there's a whole conversation that we need to have for people with these preferences because they can't really articulate it. And if they can't articulate it, you know, without, I guess, ruining their lives, there's no pr- prevention strategies, right? Which right. I think is really key. Um, so it, yeah, I just, I found the whole thing a very complex, like, Um, moral ground I suppose yeah well I mean so first of all I just want to say I think it was exceptionally well done because there were so many layers to the story and it was broken up into into um, ways that was processable if that's even a word like (laughs) because yeah there was just so you know the where it started with the investigation um, and building up to like how they caught this person to then the people that were in his life, you know, just his friend who his daughter was, you know, in connection with and, and the fact that she found stuff after and, you know, the, just the, the emotional labor, you know, that it takes to even just listen to a mother going through that and, and you know, the uncertainty of what could, what, what actually happened with someone that she trusted. And I think, you know, for parents who are listening at, you know, I'm an abuse prevention educator and, I think this is where a lot of people need to listen carefully and listen to the fact that this was someone that she knew for years, you know, she trusted. Um, But then there was like this odd, you know, she couldn't really tell what it was, but she just wanted to be extra cautious or, you know, paying extra attention and, and listening to that gut sense. And then afterwards kind of being reaffirmed about it was really powerful. And um, you know, so one of the reasons I, I really want parents in particular to listen to this is for that, just even that alone. But the other aspect of it, you know, just as you mentioned, was really humanizing who this person was and their origin story, which was really interesting because, you know, you had even mentioned at the end, like he says, you know, that the psychology world in a sense failed him. Whether that's really true or not, we don't know because did he really yeah. seek out enough help or did, or did he just kind of try and then give up? Um, and, and I think that we don't talk about that aspect of it enough, you know, like you, to your point, how are we doing prevention in that aspect of it? Like we talk about prevention for kids and, you know, teaching parents and all that, but what about the people who 
are afflicted with this, uh, you know, I, I consider it a mental disorder almost. Um, and so what happened, like, how can we attack that aspect of it? So I, I think yeah. for anyone who's, who's in the mental health field, it, it, this is also a great episode, you know, a great uh, podcast to listen to. So I think so many people can benefit from hearing this. Um, but I would love to come back to, you're a father. So coming back to it from the perspective of educating parents about this issue, um, there's two sides to this, right? There's one is um, people who are trying to trick kids online to, you know, exploit them. And I think when parents think about online exploitation or, or child sexual abuse material, they think of that and they're like, well, my kids, you know, two or three, I don't need to worry about that. But a lot of the offenders are hands on and yeah. who are producing this content as well. And so that's another aspect that parents need to think about. Like, even if your child is really young, you should still be paying attention to this issue. Yeah. As a parent, like how, how has this shifted how you, you know, think about abuse prevention or, you know, talk to other people about it? And, and what do you think parents yeah. should know about this issue in well, general? Yeah, that's an awesome question. And I'm gonna, I wish I, I'm probably not gonna be as articulate about it as you hope, but maybe there's a, there's a few things. So I think one of them, and, and it gets back to this idea of not seeing the people who per perpetrate this kind of abuse as monsters, because that makes us think about someone other. And the fact is, is that most of this abuse occurs by people you know, often in the family. Mm -hmm. And so like, I think I had this vague sense that like, you know, someone looked like a pedo or someone looked like a this or that. They don't, you really can't tell. And, and so that raises an alarming and kind of uncomfortable issue, which is um, you kind of have to, I think you kind of have to have a bit of a, like my wife basically says, I just don't trust any guy around our kid. And I think she's right. Like on one level, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying people should become like closed in and you know not <laughs> allow their kid to develop relationships with family members but I do think you have to have this kind of century in your head that is on the lookout yeah for you know the potential that someone you might really trust is trying to take advantage of their relationship with your kid and, and I just think that you have to that's a again that's an unpleasant fact that you have to face so I think like, I almost feel like, you know, I've talked to my male friends about this who have, who have young kids, young girls in particular. And, you know, like, we, we feel like, you know, we just, we, we joke in a way, we say, like, I just, I don't trust you around my daughter. I don't trust any guy around your daughter. And if someone takes offense with that, that's a bad sign. Mm -hmm. Like, in the sense that I think that, I think that you have to, you have to just own the fact that, that this is happening really close to home and be aware of that. So I don't think, you know, I don't, I don't want people to get like paranoid or whatever, but I don't, I just think that you have to understand that reality. I, I, the other, the other part of it is that we, like, we just don't put pictures of any sort on social media. And mm -hmm. because I don't think, I, I try to express it without, you know, um, being vulgar or shocking, but, you know, people with a rudimentary sense of how to Photoshop an image can take an image of your kid and do things to that image and post them on these sites. Like, so images that you have of your kid in a swimsuit in a backyard pool can end up on these sites. Yeah. So I guess my, my feeling is like, I think it's great to share photos of your kids and stuff. Do you need to do it on a social media site? 
where you don't know or don't trust everyone. I, I don't like, I, I personally make the choice not to do that. Yeah. And then the third, and maybe I think the most important thing is in terms of parenting is having really open discussions about physicality and the body with the young kids, which I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with. Yeah. And, and obviously there's a right way to talk or, you know, there's a lot of wrong ways to talk to kids about their bodies, but there's a whole bunch of right ways to have forthright discussions about their, about kids and their, their bodily autonomy. Right. So I think in, in our case, my, my wife is a physician and she's a gynecologist. And so she's used to talking to young kids about their body in a way that's just very straightforward and fact-based. And so we have a lot of conversations about this is your body and these are your private areas and we call them by their names. And that way you're empowering your kid to name their body parts and to understand that they're theirs. And if someone else wants to touch them or look at them or take pictures of them, that that's a problem. Because often, you know, like, and you'll hear from, you know, kids will say like, oh, so-and-so tickled my bum. Well, what does that mean? If your kid can't say vagina or penis and they have a vague label for their entire private area, tickle my bum can mean a whole bunch of things. Like grandpa, you know, slapped me on the bum and tickled me like, you know, in a playful way that's totally natural for a lot of families. You know, you pick up your kid, you hold the bum, right? If you call your vagina a bum, that's a different thing. So I think giving, empowering kids with vocabulary and knowledge is maybe the most important thing. Like, I think it's more important than getting paranoid about who's seen your kid or scrubbing all of your information off the internet. But really having the confidence to talk to your kid and about their body is, I think for us, it's been pretty key. Yeah, a hundred percent. I actually, I agree a hundred percent. And I think that that's, I mean, that's one of the things that I'm always railing about is like, Yes, there's a lot of dangers and we may have fears and anxiety around that, but that doesn't help our kids if yeah. we just avoid the topic or just feel like, oh, I'm just going to keep them close and protected because they're not always going to be close and protected. Like they're going to eventually yeah. go off into the world. And having that dialogue is so critical. And, you know, to your point, we just don't know. So instead of living life paranoid, let's educate ourselves and our kids. So 100% agree with you there. Um, and I'm glad that you're you're feeling that you know that you have support in place to be able to do that, you know, because not everyone um, yeah, has sure. has that. So I think it's it's important, you know, one of the messages that I want to make sure people, parents get you know here in this is that there are resources out there, and you know there's so many that nowadays you can't not tap into that. Um, what i what I wanted to also point out that that was really important from your podcast was that there are communities of people who are, you know, supporting each other in how to access kids and, and talk yeah. about, you know, like, I mean, there's uh, manuals out there that are being yeah, exchanged. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think a lot of people don't realize, I say to parents, these people are organized and they're organizing and so we as parents need to be better organized and educated and and learn about this right so that yeah. we can counter what they're doing on that end so can you talk a bit about what you learned in terms of these communities and how they operate yeah. and you know why should parents know about this yeah no i, I think it's a, it's kind of the thing i wasn't aware of until i got into the investigation but like I think part of what happens is that these folks are pariahs in the sense that there's nowhere there's no one they can turn to generally to talk about 
their desires and so they go on the internet and the internet is if if nothing else it's a place for um coalescing like you know groups of people and 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 i think radicalizing is a fair word here i think some of the law enforcement people some of the psychologists and experts we've talked to i think draw parallels between what happens on these forums you know these child abuse forums and what happens in a you know, like the incels or jihadist or any other radicalized group mm. is that what happens is, is people find sanctuary and solace there. And then they, they help. It's an echo chamber that justifies their desires that there's all this, there's in addition to what you're talking about. So there are manuals, like there are literally manuals that people can download from the dark web about like Warhead was, I think both receiving and giving advice about how to get away with the abuse he committed on a family member from some of these forums. Mm-hmm. And he was sharing his experience on the forums. Like these are places where people go to learn and, and share experience. And more than that, like, or maybe not more than that, but in part, part of that is that there's also this huge justification that goes on, rationalizing what they're doing, that yeah. they're not hurting kids, that they're actually giving kids pleasure, that they are justified in doing what they're doing because they're made this way and there's nothing you can do about it and they can't get psychological help etc etc a lot of fallacious thinking there a lot of distorted worldview there but but there is these are communities that are as strong as any other radicalized group and and i think that you can take something like faulkner the warhead went into these feeling like a outcast who, who no one could understand found kinship and i think it's fair to say brotherhood mm-hmm. and then ended up climbing the, the ranks of the the other thing too to keep in mind with a guy like him is that these are social forms for people who are social outcasts often yeah and one of the things that happened to him is that he entered as a pariah dog of society and found a place where he could be king and he went for that and as a result built this awful kingdom online so the, yeah there there this is like they're you know, he spent something, the thing that stuck out to me is that he would have 16 or 18 hour days running multiple sites. There are people whose lives are devoted to these sites, which are devoted to the exploitation of children. So yeah, yeah. it's not just like someone has a random idea about doing something to a kid, that these are people who are the equivalent of snipers sitting yeah. there patiently waiting for an opportunity, creating situations for an opportunity. Like there's a, there is a reason, and, and I'm, I, I hope people will take this in the right context. The vast majority of people in childcare or running a scouts organization or whatever are good, fine people. But I think there's probably an overrepresentation of abusers in any group that has access to kids because there is a concerted and conscious effort to find kids. Right? Yeah. So I think just being aware that people think like that, because until you start dealing with this stuff like I just never it never occurs to you to think this way yeah right and then when you realize oh like there are people right now creating forms to help other people abuse kids it's pretty startling yeah yeah absolutely yeah I, and that's that's the thing too uh, when parents hear this for the first time if I you know mention this and and I reference your uh series quite a bit because just, you know, like you said, you would never imagine, like it was, it's not something that would occur to you. You would think, you know, I think most people think, you know, this is someone who's doing it closed doors and they don't tell anybody, but then they find community or create community and 
have, you know, find ways to justify what they're doing and grow that community. And it's not rant, like it's not uncommon at this point, like the reports that I've seen, especially over throughout this pandemic, where these reports have risen and these communities have grown. I think it's important that parents understand the, the reality of, of these, um, these places on the dark web and, and how they operate. It's a One form of, the, of organized crime. Yeah. I think it's a form of organized crime that the currency is child exploitation, not money. Yeah. And it yeah. is important to think of it like, like, and, and it's a, I, I don't have a figure and I don't know if I ever had a solid enough figure to quote, but a lot of what goes on on the dark web, like a sizable proportion of it is child exploitation. Yeah. Period. Yeah. So it's real. I don't know. Yeah. The other um, aspect too that I thought was really interesting and, and I'll wrap it up with this. Um, and I would love to, to maybe have you back at some point in the future sure. uh, once we, we kind of see, I think what, what will be the aftermath of this pandemic because uh, like, you know, these numbers have risen, but in terms of law enforcement, you know, cause law enforcement um, obviously was, was very integral in this particular yeah. series. Um, there was concern about some of the people that were embedded, you know, in, in these sting operations, essentially, that really had to go in and play the part of the people that they were, in a sense, replacing, right, that they came in to be able to infiltrate the, these forums. And there was concern of, like, you know, them having to witness and, and see these, these images and what that could do to a person. And, and some of it was like, you know, bordering like ethical, unethical, like, you know, what, where do you draw the line to be able to find the people, you know, without not being a part of it. And one of the organizations that I follow um, very closely that I, I really support their work is called uh, the Child Rescue Coalition. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, but they- I've come uh, across their name, but I don't know much about them. Yeah, so they they create technology that helps law enforcement to be able to track um, IP addresses and and be able to really provide more things to be able to get warrants and and to aid them in their investigations, and they have been really um, good about sharing you know what's happening on the dark web and how you know the the information that they've come across like for example cappers um, you know people who capture uh, live footage of kids when the when the kids don't know and you know they end up using that later to blackmail them you know or, or in sextortion when when these law enforcement officials get involved in these uh, investigations I think that it's important that we're aware also that they can even become part of the problem at some point like I've heard about law enforcement that actually became part of it infiltrated but they were actually also predators that just found a way to navigate around this to become part of it and like so th there's just so many angles to this and the reason I'm I'm bringing it up and and the question that I'm ultimately getting to is is there a way for this issue in your opinion to become distorted so much that like nobody knows who the good guy is anymore mm -hmm. and you know, what, what's your opinion, I guess, on after hearing all of the, the information that you got as, you know, hearing the investigation, I mean, the, the reporter who really kind of took off with this seemed like the purest of hearts. And then you could see where some other people were potentially more corruptible. 
what what was what's your sort of take on how yeah. these things these investigations go and you know just well, curious and, yeah i mean i so just because of the nature of the the investigations i had i have limited insight into exactly what the police do but but i want to point out i have a really good relationship with uh, some of the people from the toronto police services child protection unit they've invited me into their their unit and and um, we've had some good conversations and my experience with them and the folks who like the Australian police who are kind of at the core of this investigation for this series is that these are these are the top ranked yeah, top rank isn't it but the, these are people who are very pure of heart and very they've devoted their lives to to this like one of the police officers here in Toronto has a tattoo of each um, operation that she's been part of like she's mm. her life is devoted to this so mm. I think it's important like I'm sure because people are what they are I'm sure that there's no there's no profession that's devoid of people who will take advantage of a situation whatever that situation is but the people that I've met who and uh, who have reported on I think are profoundly committed to rescuing kids so to address your point, like how do you how do you make sure you know who the good guy is? Well, you know, I think again that comes. I think part of the job of a journalist here is to create and sometimes force transparency. Like I, I think that I think there's a genuine necessity for these operations to be quite covert mm -hmm. for a whole bunch of reasons. Some to protect the, the kids because the, these sites you you can't have people on these sites without degrading the kids further. You, you have to stay quiet because this is an undercover operation, right? Like you, you can't share your tactics yeah. because the bad guys, the bad guys are generally always a step ahead or so. So you're always playing catch up to these bad guys. And if you give away your tactics, you blow your ability to, to get them. Right. But I do think like one of the things that I think Warhead, the hunting Warhead, the series did well is that we covered it well enough that we got good feedback from the police saying, hey, you guys understand the complexity here. We're happy to work with you in the future if you decide to do something. So I think part of like responsible storytelling is, you know, we're not doing PR for the police, right? We're, I'm a reporter. I want to get to the truth, right? Yeah. How, whatever that is. But I think that the police understood that our motivation was really to talk about the, the scope of the problem and they're focused on that as well. So I think that just doing quality journalism, quality storytelling and actually articulating the scope of the problem brought the police that, that I know are willing to work with us and collaborate with us in a way that makes the whole issue more transparent. So I think that it becomes easier to cover the big picture. And when you have coverage of an issue, you can, in your transparency, you can start to see the potential for, well, maybe there's a bad player. Maybe we need to look into this. Uh, I just mm -hmm. think that like, and it also makes the, it also makes the police more willing to share information, which makes it easier to assess who they are and what they're doing. So I don't know, I don't think that there's any way of preventing hundred percent a good, a person on the good side from going bad. And I mean, yeah. in the series, like Warhead had applied to be an analyst for the police. Like, I think yeah. they're aware yeah. of that. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I don't feel like I answered your question very well. But no, no, I, I think you did. <laughs> you did. I, the question was kind of off the cuff because uh, it was one of the things that I remember a few people mentioning. It's like, well, how do we know that those people end up, you know, really staying the good guys because what what has sort of come up is that when I think as a trend, 
people, are, parents particularly, are looking at pornography more critically these days because kids have so much more access. And they're looking at the fact that um, really pornography can influence and impact behavior and, you know, in relationships and in sexuality. And so with that sort of idea in mind, could someone who is doing work to, to protect against actually be influenced in the same way? And, you know, so yeah. that was, that was why. It's a, it's a good question. I, I guess the thing is, is like, and I don't know, and I don't know if anyone's done work on this, but I guess like, I should have prefaced this, but our work, you know, we weren't legally allowed to, nor did we want to see any images. Yeah. Um, but my sense is that like, unless you are interested in kids sexually, looking at this stuff, just it sears a hole in you that yeah. you never, like you can't unsee this stuff. Yeah. And so I think that like, I know that the burnout and dropout and <laughs> transfer rate of the law enforcement people doing this is pretty darn high, mm. which suggests to me that it's actually, it's, it's extremely commendable that they're sticking with it as long as they do. Yeah. I think that you would have to be predisposed to finding this stuff interesting. I find it pretty hard to believe that people would eventually become attracted to this information unless there was a predisposition there. Uh, yeah. But yeah. that's like, really take that with a grain of salt because that's me just speculating. Yeah, no, I hear you. And I, I think just, just the last question that I have, I guess, um, to help people understand that and the reason I and the reason why I really ask that is because there is really a spectrum of what is considered child sexual abuse material and it can range from infants all the mm -hmm. way to yeah. um, you know adolescents right and so yeah. I think for a lot of people when they think of um, formally the term which I think is still a legal term um, was child pornography people were mm -hmm. thinking of teenagers or at least yeah. tweens tweens and teens but it also does include infants, toddlers, kids. Yeah. So there is a full range. And I guess when um, people are, you know, when when the, this question has been raised to me, but they've listened to the podcast and they've, they've said, you know, could this be corruptible? Because, you know, a lot of the things, right. stuff on like Pornhub, for example, is that sort of in between, you can't really tell if that, you know, if that's yeah. really a young kid or- Is she 19 you know. or 17? Is she, yeah. Totally. Right, yeah. And so that's sort of where that that fine line is. But I think, we, I mean, when we were talking, when we're talking about your particular series, we're talking about very young kids. Um, yeah, toddlers. Like, yeah. Toddlers and things, yeah. Which just as, as again, a trigger warning for anyone who is a survivor um, to have some support when you're listening to this yeah. and to, to just know that there is a trigger warning because there were some parts sure. where it's just like, you're just blown away at, um, at, at these, these, these facts. Right. So anyway, but uh, I just want to say, I, I think that it was done superbly. I, I'm a survivor and I do have support. And when I listened to it, um, there were moments where I had to pause and, and stop, but it was so compelling. Oh, and I Thank know you. that it was information that was so necessary for not just myself, but all parents to listen to that. Um, I think it was just executed really well. And uh, I continue to that share means, it. So that means a huge amount to me because, you know, we like, th there was part of, part of us as a team, we're like, no one's going to listen to this. We're going to throw a year of our life into something we think is super important. No one's going to listen just because of the topic. And then we had this additional anxiety, which is like, I don't know, like part, like I, I'm driven by the necessity to show people like, this is the reality, like this guy's doing this. And, and we cut 99% of what he told me out because you don't need to hear it. 
I'm glad you think it, I'm glad you think it, the sensibility hit the right spot because, you know, I was really worried about putting out something that like telling the facts and, and remaining sensitive to people's experience is a hard, mm-hmm. that's a tightrope, like really hard tightrope to walk. And so we put it out there hoping that our hours of like, like trying to figure out the right way of saying things and, and, and still getting the facts across paid off. So it really means a lot that you felt as a survivor that you felt we hit that in that area yeah so I'm really glad to hear that yeah I mean I I want I want everyone to hear it every every parent I think should hear this um series so I will continue to promote it and I I'm just really grateful that you and your team put it together and for all of the people involved who made that arrest happen I mean I know that it was it's it's a huge collaborative effort to to do that kind of thing so so thank you so much i really appreciate your time yeah so um for anyone who uh wants to listen to it of course check out the show notes all of that will be in there and i just want to also plug your book because uh Mm -hmm. you know i think that for anyone who really wants to understand the lives of the inner lives of violent men and, and people might be wondering why would I want to listen to that? Um, I think we live in a violent world that we if we if we understand it a little bit better, if we understand uh, the psychology of the people a little bit better, I think information education always can help us number one, have more compassion for people in the world, but also just to help us navigate it a little bit better. So can you share um, the where people can find your book? And Yeah, for sure. So yeah, it's it's it's, uh, it's called Mad Blood Stirring the Inner Lives of Violent Men. And, and it's available on uh, Amazon and Indigo and Chapters and all, all those bookstores. Uh, it's published by Penguin Random House Canada. And I think just to like, one of the things too that I would say is like, why would you want to, spend time inside the brains of, or the minds of violent men. And I think that's a fair point. I guess it comes, one of the things that I took away from that, and I took away from this podcast series too, is that there's a, there's a, ther- uh, there's a, a counselor friend of mine who says, you, you have to meet people where they are. And that's not always a pleasant place, right? But you can, you can help people get out of that place, but you have to meet people where they are. And one of the things that I actually find quite hopeful is that the men I've talked to, people who are killers, serial rapists, former gang members, a lot of time in jail, you know, a pedophile. Once you open yourself up to hearing their experience, they'll open up to you. And that's the nexus for change. Mm. Because these guys understand in, in most cases that they've gone down this path and they're rationalizing that and they're justifying that and they're 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 have a distorted worldview. But that is modifiable. But I think that we have to be willing to go into the that cavernous place that we want to avoid. We can't expect them to draw them out simply by saying it's better and more enlightened up here. Mm-hmm. We have to go into the cave and pull them out. And yeah. so that's why I, I think it's important to go into those places. Not because I want, again, I'm no, no fan of sensationalized misery. Yeah. I just yeah. think there's work to do. And I, that's the emotional labor that I, as a man, feel compelled to do. Because mm-hmm. I can go into those places and I can connect with those guys as unappealing as that sounds. And I can help maybe draw them out again because they are willing to talk about their feelings. When you yeah. can engage a guy about his feelings, you have purchase to change people, I think. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think for a lot of people who grew up in uh, you know, domestic violence and or maybe are in relationships with, you know, I mean, that's another 
number that has been on the rise throughout this pandemic. And, um, and so even just for that, like, I think, again, just under learning to understand someone, not that it gives them the excuse to say, oh, this is why you did it. So it's okay. But just to I be know, able yeah. to understand, and then how do we create change from that understanding, right? So I think exactly. it's always important to, to, to learn as much as you can about different people and, and how they came to be that, right? So and it doesn't, it doesn't, give them an excuse to continue behaving that way at all. Yeah. Right? But like you yeah. said, it's a, it's a place for, for trying to draw them into a better place. Yeah. 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 So thank you for your work. So I will post the link for that as well. And uh, for anyone who is uh, still listening with us right now, we would love to hear your takeaways. So please uh, share it on Instagram, tag us. Um, I will share those links again as well. And we would love to know, you know, what was your biggest takeaway from this? What did you learn? What are you going to put into action? I'm all about action. Everyone knows that Mm -hmm. who listens to me every week. So please be sure to do that. And uh, if you enjoyed this, please be sure to give us a subscribe or a rating on iTunes so that more people can find this podcast. Thanks so much. And we will see you next time. Thanks again, Damon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Don't miss the next episode. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And I would be so grateful if you took one minute to post a five-star rating and reviews on iTunes so that others can also find this information. I will be shouting you out and thanking you on the next episode. If you found this useful, be sure to share it with others as well. Let's continue to create consent culture, one conversation at a time. Stay empowered.